Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Happy Space Game Week to all who celebrate. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. I'm Jeff. I got Eric. I got Kyle with me today. The most anticipated week of the football season, gentlemen. <laughs> Give me that Canaveral blue. I got my hat. Holy is that why Drew's not here? He's like in a store. He's like outside the UCF store right now, just trying to knock in, trying to take some of the gear. Is Drew, that what Drew is, yeah, Drew is in orbit after we released the uniforms last last go. night at three twenty one Pacific time. In orbit fantastic. for the space game, I see what yes. you're there. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's why Kyle's wearing blue and in, in here <laughs> in the Zoom. That, that explains it. Uh, UCF is playing Temple on Thursday night on uh, national television space game. We got we got a lot of pre- uh, stuff to preview for that. Uh, also, the uh, review of the uh, delayed game against SMU, which turned out, which was a great second half, uh, which we'll talk about in just a second. Also, special guest with us this week, Tyler Paul, UCF long snapper who is doing uh, a fundraiser on GoFundMe for Brit's Bunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's going to give us the details on that and how you can help out as well. Fantastic conversation with Tyler, by the way. I, I, I loved it. Love talking to him about, you know, not just the the fundraiser, but also, you know, his job as a long snapper and the job of specialists these days. It was great. Wide-ranging conversation. Uh, and we're also, we also got a lot to talk about on the uh uh, on the Olympic sports side, UCF volleyball suffering their first loss of the season, but not really hurting themselves all that much, to be honest. The voter, the pollsters ignored it. They don't even know. Don't worry. That's <laughs> that's maybe we should pretend it didn't happen. Uh, also, yeah, we got some updates on soccer and basketball preseason polls, gentlemen. Yes. Yes. Hoops is right around the corner, but we start with football. So. Uh, in case you missed it, we had night shift uh, after the Wednesday night game against SMU. UCF getting a 41-19 to victory. Um, should have been 41-13 if you ask anybody who was watching that game, but who's counting? Um, all right, so now that we have put that firmly in the rearview mirror, I, before we start talking about the game at hand against Temple on Thursday, uh, Kyle, I want to start with you. Uh, now that we've had some time to digest the second half against SMU, did this team turn a corner in your opinion? 
I mean, if you call the receivers actually catching the bleeding football, turning a corner, then yes. Right. I mean, you know, I don't mean to be this guy, but while John Rice, but I'm going to be this guy (laughs) because Drew's not here. Someone has to listen. I'm sorry that Leroy missed the meeting. So I'm filling in the void. What can I say? (laughs) No, listen. And and that's why they call me the student of the game. I study, then I apply. And I'm applying Leroy Jenkins there. Listen, I, and I, I, someone has to be that guy because the, 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 the thing is clear here, Jeff. John Rice made some John Rice misses. You know, they, oh, not every throw was perfect. And yet, Jeff, 20 of 29. Okay? That's damn near 70%. If he completes those couple that were, you know, the lofty things over open receivers, mm-hmm. he's throwing better than 70%. Didn't you, say, didn't you say the magic number for him was about 60%? Drew did. Um, Drew did. Okay, so he hit that mark. And 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 sixty percent is is generally speaking a good mark for quarterbacks. Period. Not just John Rice, but throwing darn near thirty times, which is at least five or ten more than most fans, um, you know, who are more pessimistic, who are Jr. pouting about the situation. Um, see what I did there with the JRP? You like that? Oh, um, see, the, what? What? I even leaned into your John Rice Plumley propaganda, and you're still bad. I don't get it. Anyways. So um, we mentioned the receivers catching the football and doing amazing things once they got it. That might be the least surprising part of it. Hey, maybe you guys heard O'Keefe and Baker, they're athletes. What? You know, <laughs> that's a thing. You that don't say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Breaking uh, Kobe Hudson, I thought, had two, two clutch catches in that game, too. You know, that's it was good point. to see him to get into the – it does feel like they're sl- like slowly but surely, like the receivers are – I was a little bit surprised at how it's taken the receivers, I think, this long to settle in. Well, let's be careful in making that statement. Let's let's add the context of O'Keefe did have during he was dealing with. Hudson had his issues, hasn't played all of the games. So now, granted, I would have liked to see Hudson come on early. He has some drops in some earlier games that he did play. Um, but I'm glad you mentioned Hudson because uh, Plumlee's best pass of the year in my opinion, was to him over the shoulder setting up the first uh, browser touchdown. And I, listen, I'm not even really bringing up the running game because we know it's there, you know. Yeah. Uh, see the O-line's best game of the year uh, as far as controlling the line of scrimmage as well. Elo, I'm anxiously awaiting you poo-pooing everything he just said. No, he's right. He's 100% <laughs> right. But they have to but... carry this over to Temple. He's right. Like, the question is, can this team put it together consistently now for four quarters, for multiple weeks? Because I think this Temple game, let's be real, Temple, this is a mismatch. Temple doesn't belong on this field. If UCF plays to its potential, if they play like they did close to what they did in the second half against SMU, this game will be a wrap by halftime. And I think with the national TV, this is an opportunity for UCF to make a statement to say we are the team that can knock off Cincinnati. We're the team that's going to grab this conference by the throat because I think this league is right now, we're waiting to see if who's going to be the team that's going to take this league, you know, as the favorite. Cincinnati just coming off a struggle against South Florida. They're still young. The other Houston's kind of been wild. They play overtime games every week, it seems like. I think this is an opportunity for UCF to say, hey, we're the team here. We're the team that's going to beat Cincinnati. We're the favorites. We we can win this league. But I want to see that carry over against Temple. I don't want this to be, oh, well, they're struggling and they're kind of going through the motions. I think we know this defense is good enough 
to win this league and get you perhaps to New Year's Six, can this offense be as consistent and complement the defense consistently enough? That's what I want to see with this tempo. And hopefully we see that as, to your point, Jeff, what you brought up, could this SMU second half be the turning point? We're going to find out with tempo. But credit to the coaching staff. You know, it's funny, uh, fans, you know, we're always point quickly to uh, point out when coaches, quote, don't do something correct or they, oh, wait, he didn't do a good job. That was a masterful job by this staff in making the adjustments, Kyle. Really, Gus Malzahn took Rhett Lashley to school in the second half, I thought, from a coaching staff standpoint. I thought him and Tra- Gus had called a great game, and, and Travis Williams continues to do a fantastic job defensively. To me, Travis Williams is on track to be the best UCF defensive coordinator since Gene Chizik. That's and how good he's been. I'm glad you said that. Uh, the stat boy, Drew, matched that sentiment, endorsing T-Will on night shift as well, so you're not alone. I I, I definitely see where that's coming from. I, I will say that second half, Tanner Mordecai looked like a deer in headlights, and that's a good quarterback, Like as, we, as we've said all year. He finished 28-45 for 295, and it put a pick through no touchdowns, but he was off. He could not find a spot in the second half because that front four in particular, UCF was getting great pressure on them with just the front four. They did not blitz in that second half very much. Uh, And in the meantime, uh, you know, you had two receivers over a hundred, over a hundred yards in Baker and O'Keefe. Interestingly enough, Isaiah Bowser and RJ Harvey, I almost feel like Gus is kind of playing money ball with his skill guys a little bit where, if you combine those two guys, that's 22 carries for 131 yards and three touchdowns. Um, it, 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 and this is for a team that right now, and I want to update the the national numbers here, is fourth in the country in rushing offense in UCF, 18th right. in total offense. So, yeah. um, Eric, you always play. like to talk about the guy, the boys up front. They're handling their business right now. I think that was – Kyle, you're right. That was the best game that that – offensive line has played uh to this point defensively for UCF first in red zone 47 percent seventh in the country and third down conversion allowed 26 percent that is off the charts low and just to give you a a perspective on the red zone stats which I I think is really quintessential and we should talk about this real quick because this was I thought the second half was T-Will's best game 31 nothing UCF basically until the final play in the second half um we haven't seen since 2013 a team finish the season with a red zone percentage allowed lower than 60. Oh, UCF wow. right now is in 40. Now, probably going to be some regression to the mean, but they're on pace for a pretty historic red zone performance this year on defense, which gives you an idea of a, I mean, we, we can go on and on about bed, but don't break, but like, they ain't breaking. Yeah, no, and and listen, let me let me throw in something that Bryson Turner pointed out to me uh, on on Wednesday in the press box. Tanner Mordecai not throwing a passing touchdown as an SMU Mustang, a first in his career there. Wow. See, that's why Rhett Lashley didn't commit to a starter before the season, Kyle. See, he I played two quarterbacks. Ah. See, you owe him an apology. Oh, uh, no, no. Well, so do you then, because showing his lack of commitment to Tanner Mordecai is no, why he boy. had Stone score a touchdown late, and y'all are mad at him for that. 
So yeah, what's not, I'm No, not, we're not mad at him. We're not mad at him for scoring a touchdown. We're mad at him for calling two timeouts in the final five yeah, seconds of a game that was already long. decided. But let, that was let very the long. backups have their fun, man. Such a hater. But, but real quick, though, I, I will say this. <laughs> the offense, one thing, you mentioned the running game. By not trying to run a play every five seconds is helping the defense, too. They're fresher. They're deep. Yeah. The offense has got a good pace. They have mixed speeds. One of the issues towards the end of the, I know everybody's right. All of a sudden is, you know, crowning Josh Heupel is this great coach. And look, he's doing a good job at Tennessee, but he also helps that he doesn't have Randy Shannon. Number one, as his defensive coordinator at Tennessee, (laughs) number two. Okay. uh, I think he's understood even at Tennessee. I don't have to go every three seconds. And I think, and he's learned, which is a credit to him. I mean, remember, UCF was his first head coaching job. So, good, you know, I'm glad he's doing well. I think he's learned from the, some, you know, quote mistakes. And he did a good job here. One should but, help, yeah. But Gus's offense with the running game is helped keeping this defense fresh and not being on the field for 80, yep. 90 snaps like we've seen in the years past. Yep. That, that, that's, that's, I think, such a key difference. And, by the way, we talked about how UCF likes to go tempo and run fast. Did you know that this team right now is – 27th in the country in time of possession 32 minutes a game beautiful let's keep and that that was not and the that's, case. that's that's been a while right we were in the hundreds in that and that is i think what you're talking about eric is gus has figured out and taught and taught his offense how to ride the throttle right right well, and when, to go, that, when to go and when not to. And that has helped that defense. You're absolutely right. Go ahead, Kyle. I'm sorry. Another thing I'd add to that. First of all, listen, there's no record of true sustained success doing that, right? Chip Kelly eventually fizzled. Um, we've seen how Frost is doing. And then Heupel changed up, and now he's as the only reason why he's not going to take Tennessee um, any higher than they're at right now is because having both Alabama and Georgia on the schedule is going to be rough. But I say all the above to say this. It's different, too, when you have a guy as intelligent as John Rice Plumley. And this isn't saying that Mikey Keene is dumb. I think he's a smart guy, too. But he's also wildly young. Even even relearning, air quotes, the position as Plumley is, he has more quarterback experience than Keene right now over and above the skill set. So I think there's an aspect there that slows it down naturally. Uh, John Rice has an opportunity to to be more of a commander these guys granted while there's rumors of un- unrest at one point it's certainly clear that this uh halftime or excuse me second half has cleared that up at least for the moment so that takes us to this week's game against the temple owls ucf according to odd shark is a 23 and a half point favorite the yeah. over under is at 46 hmm. um this is a Temple team that comes in two and three on the season, but their only wins were at home against Lafayette and UMass. Uh, they've lost 30 to nothing at Duke. They lost to Rutgers at home by two, and they lost at Memphis in their most recent game, 24 to three. They're 125th in total offense. Uh, they are, t- but they are 12th in total defense. Right. I think that, I think that number has been skewed a little bit by the fact that they played the likes of Lafayette, Rutgers, and UMass. But uh, third in passing yards allowed, which kind of is a little surprising to me. You know, 20th, and they're only giving up 16.8 points per game. But this feels like this starting out for them, right, at Memphis, at UCF, and they're coming in, by the way, 
with two weeks rest. They were off last week. Mm-hmm. Um, this this kind of feels a little bit like uh, you're gonna you're gonna face a real team now, again. Well, at least up front on defense, right? And 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 again, we're gonna go right back to it. Whether it's a you know domination game or a oh boy, like Georgia Tech is gonna start in the trenches where O line struggled against the beef of the ACC, right? Which I mean, it's it, again we've touched on this show about the jump from G five to P five, um, being first going to the butcher and getting you some meat, right? Um, that being said, you don't have that issue with Temple. Historically, UCF has dominated Temple up front for the past few years. And while I, I do believe Temple tough it was a ma- mantra at one point you could respect because they were going to play you hard, those days are long past. Um, <laughs> so, you know, for my money. That rule's available, though. <laughs> Fair I point. He, I thought he was going to Nebraska. Anyways, um, no. So with all that in mind, I, I, I it's going to start there. How much, how easy that game is or isn't, how much RJ Harvey you see or don't, how much Johnny Richardson you see or don't. Um, and, and, you know, it's going to start there. How much uh, John Rice passing you're going to see or don't. Or, you know, hey, if it goes well enough, how much, how much Castellanos you see yeah. or don't. So, you, you know, I, I hate, you know, I know it seems biased. I know I have my Aaron Evans original of me in my playing days, you know, in the O-line. And then all you talk about is the big guys. Hey, they matter. Deal with it. You know, I, I, in the in the type of game that UCF plays. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think that's 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 the game. I mean, they do matter. You know, it's and that's what Gus wants to do. We talked about varying the throttle. You know, that requires the that requires the O-line to actually hold blocks, especially in the run game, which they have been doing to this point. Um, Temple, interestingly enough, against the run, you know, like we said, 49th in rushing. D- I mean, it's okay. You're playing the Lafayette, you know. You're gonna but you're playing, yeah, Lafayette, <laughs> Rutgers. Three, three of your five games are against Lafayette, Rutgers, yeah. and UMass. How often are you running the football when the game isn't out of hand? Right, right. Yeah, that's that's 100% correct. So even with those, they only rank that high. What are you doing right. in close games? Let's see, be careful with numbers, Jeff. They can lie. But Con- here's the thing, really, again, you want to take care of business early. Because To your right. point, Kai, you want to get as many players out of the game. You don't want to suffer an injury because you're letting a team hang around in a football game. You know, because the schedule's going to get tougher. You got a tricky game now at night at East Carolina coming up, which, you know, you know that could be a trap game going into the big game against Cincinnati in a couple weeks, which uh, from... Oh, like my 30, God, he just called it the trap game. I think that's a legitimate it, it trap game. An actual trap game. Yeah. And listen, I get that Eric respects his his favorite quarterback, Holton Ehlers, up and down. But what, what I am going to say is, um, yeah, no, East Carolina marks a trap game but we'll get more to that as we approach that game because um, we don't – We're everybody's still, I think, kind of trying to figure out what Cincinnati is, uh, even though we're how many weeks? I think they're still trying to figure <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah, I was going to say, I think Cincinnati's trying to figure out what Cincinnati is right now. I, I said everybody. Because <laughs> they, they let South, – well, South Florida had them against the ropes. They had Florida. And then, and then South Florida at the game. Yeah. So. Maybe I see what you did bar, there. Bar no, for the court, bar for the no court. it's not just a bunch of bull we're talking there. Anyways – no, so the um, wow, not even a groan. I'm I'm getting bad at my job. Anyways. I'm just over it at this point. But carry on. Wow, wow. Hey, that's it's I either 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 let them hate you or love you. Either way, it's PR. It's all good. Oh well, boy. 
But, um, you know, a point I want to make about the defense is is they're not just a breakfast or a dinner secondary. A breakfast secondary, of course, being somebody where you're they're jamming up front, getting in your face early, or they're making plays on the back end later in the development of a passing play, right? Why do I say that? All the times that Tanner Mordecai challenged those guys in the end zone, and they came up big. Not just the no passing uh, touchdown stat, by the way. Four passes defended by my count and an interception by uh, by them as well in the end zone. I think that was Devon that got that. Yeah, so mm-hmm. um, what, he had a forced fumble, a, a key hurry to put the game away, as well as um, that interception. Yeah, the interception at the end of the first half, yeah. Right, so with all that in mind, uh, and, and listen, all the credit we give to the coaching staff, I'm going to put some of it on Rhett Lashley panicking, in my opinion. I, and I know not everybody agrees with that, but I think, he, listen, to keep with our boxing analogies that we've been throwing out, Jeff, he kept throwing haymakers and wasn't connecting and got freaked out. That's what I saw. I agree. And by the way, throw those analytic books out the window, please. I, I don't th- I don't think he got freaked out as much as it's just that that's just his brand is just go is just go, 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 go. And it wasn't, and and it wasn't working. It, it just, it, you know. It, but he's not gonna, he's not gonna change pace, right? Well, that late panicking, game. panicking implies that you're changing what you're doing. Um, and I don't think, he, I don't think he panicked. I just think that he just kept. He's like, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I, I'm going to, you know, damn the torpedoes. You know, I, I, he's gonna. He's going to do what he's going to do, regardless of what of of whether an, an adjustment calls for it. You see what I mean? I do. The reason why I call it a panic is he had a successful long run on the ground um, by a guy who hadn't scored a touchdown to that point. Gardner, I think was his name. Um, yeah. Who hadn't scored a touchdown. Belton to- Gardner. Thank you. Um, I knew it was something cool. I knew it started with V. Um, he had gotten that touchdown and we didn't see much of the run thereafter. Now, was it so much that UCF shut it down? No, I don't think so. Um, you know, their number, I, I forget how many times off the top of my head they ran the football, but I'll put it this way. How many times do you see corners challenged five times or more directly in the end zone the way that you saw? And, and by the way, these weren't all red zone passes by any stretch of the imagination either. You continue to try to test the corners either because that's your brand, which that could be the point, Jeff. I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to completely negate that. I think, I think there's access, uh, uh, accents from column a and B here, but later in the game, you're still doing that against the group that is unequivocally the most experienced on the team. I feel like Rhett Lashley should know this about his mentors team. This isn't somebody he hasn't seen before or even heard of. I remember the t- the master never reveals all his secrets to the, to the, the <laughs> well, uh, uh, but I know that they're the most experienced group. Red surely knows that. <laughs> well, I, they were uh, they, they ran the ball for 113 net on 31 carries uh, compared to 54 passes, which they were behind in the second half. So, of course, you're gonna oh, pass more than so maybe, maybe your point lends something to it. I and mean, there, there could be something there, Jeff. Uh, I, I will say, though, that they had uh, they had three key drops, I think, on yes. on SMU side. And that was, and by the way, that wasn't, you know, without the fact that they were still challenging, like you said, those DBs. And when they did, you know, I think UCF kind of played a little bit of like the Seattle Seahawks secondary philosophy on defense, which is just, you know, kind of grab, hold, be, be as physical as humanly possible and dare the officials to throw a flag on every play. 
<laughs> uh, which they <laughs> did fairly often, but not on every play. Right. Um, they were very physical. And, and, and if I'm an SMU fan, I would, you know, I, I probably would come away with that game from that game saying they were too physical. But, um, you know, for a minute there, it was kind of working. And they put the ball in kind of the officials' hands. And in a couple of key moments, especially that one down on the, the goal line on fourth down, they didn't get what they wanted. Say what you will about the calls, Jeff, and, and I, I will grant the, the depending on how the uh, officials interpreting it is is going to determine games like that. But when you're facing um, Rice, who's the receiver that he is, and there is a reason why we're not talking about him a lot, by, by the way, if you're physical with him up front and have you have him beat you with something other than natural talent and speed, if he needs some grit, receivers aren't famous for that. And that's what happened here. And I think part of the reason why there were drops is because he was getting roughed up. It's in his head. He finally gets so excited at the opportunity, bloop, 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 you know, so that was the, the drop sound. I, I don't know where I came up with that exactly from the hip, but you know what? I, mean. I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know what <laughs> Nintendo NES video game. That was a bad impersonation of, but wow. Um, <laughs> the yeah, look, yeah, like I said, I just think that was SMU's brand, and they were gonna, they, they were gonna, you know, they were, we're going spending to too much time talking SMU. But, Kyle's just let, is venting because he well, was hyping SMU before the year, and it kind of yeah. did not work out. No, I, I just think that we did what the best case scenario was, which is good to see. Like that's that's what you want to see. But as far as this Temple game is concerned, you know, obviously they their their offense is is really struggling. This should be if you see. It, it, there, this isn't going to be a game where it gets into a shootout. Right. It shouldn't be for at the very least. Uh, it, it, yeah. It's, uh, yeah it, if it's either UCF dominating in the air or having issues in the past. Yeah, this won't be a 2018 game where it was, what was it, like a 52-42 or yeah, something like, like that. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It won't be anything like that. Yeah. So uh, 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 I'll say this. The reason why you're not hearing a lot about Temple from me is Temple didn't come up a lot in the press conference on Monday. Um, the main <laughs> the, the main boy focus, that tells you a lot, it, it, just like it did with Georgia Tech. And we saw how that went uh, uh, an, an ugly win where Georgia Tech didn't do a lot. You know, I, I get it. But maybe if Brent Key was the head coach, it would have been a good uh, closer game. Go. Huh? Two and oh, baby. Brent Key. They did take down the juggernaut that was Pitt. I get that. And Duke, um, huh? huh? But um, that being said, hashtag ACC. Anyways, um, no, but uh, for, I think the main focus for this game, um, just as much as Gus and T-Will told us that SMU represented the biggest t challenge on the calendar, potentially, um, Coach Malzahn, and I'm going to say by extension through Anthony Montalvo, T will because he used some some T willisms and very well in the press conference. By the way, I'm not trying to say he was just coach speaking; like he applied it very well. Um, we're saying that the key here was to be that great team that improves late in the season, right? Coach Malzahn had, had pounded it last year, compared it to last year that this group improved late in the season, and that's what made them a standout team to get to the point where they won that Gasparilla Bowl. And he's hoping to capture that same nature. Granted with a much better injury situation, I dare say, Fair uh, point. you know, he's trying to see, he's trying to apply that principle to healthy players. And that's the kind of thing that could get them in a situation to win out, take the conference, albeit I didn't pick them and I'll be ready to eat that crow. If I am wrong, Elo, don't worry about that. Um, and, and, and take this to a possibility where they're in consideration for a new year six. 
at that point. And, and listen, other than Cincinnati, which if they went out, they'll be off the table. James Madison, I don't think is going to hold. I'm just going to be that bold to say that. Whoa. I know. Right? <laughs> uh, uh, we more than likely from what I'm seeing, won't uh, we will not see Dewan Mathis play at quarterback for Temple. He has seen action, but has basically been pulled as the corner. EJ Warner, a freshman, is the guy who uh, Stan Drayton has has kind of hitched his uh, wagon to. He's played quarter, starting a quarterback the last two games for uh, for Temple. Um, his last one, he didn't exactly cover himself in glory. Three interceptions against Memphis on eighteen to thirty seven, two forty five, no touchdowns. I'm glad you um, checked it out for those who did check out your Know Thy Foe piece for Temple at the Black and Gold Banneret.com. Yeah, because, well, I mean, Mathis was a pretty highly recruited guy, ended up at Temple, and his the bottoms kind of dropped out on him. Um, the, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, this is this is pretty, pretty straightforward, right? Do what you're, I, I think the MO for this week right now is do what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, that and more. Do what you're supposed to do and build on the things you need to build yeah. on. That's that's the big thing, too. We, and listen, as much as John Rice talked about that first uh, drive coming out on halftime, kind of being, you know, establishing the downhill run and then the big passing, as much as he credited the offense, finding that moment and then exploding for the rest of the game so they could blast off into the space game, Teehee, um, he put it a lot on his surrounding guys to to continue to build and and he talked about the rapport he has with his receivers you know when they drop the ball he's been a sympathetic guy as a former receiver he made a big deal to talk about the fact that he tried to relate to the guys in that situation and how the quarterback and receivers alike i would hope so yeah exactly (laughs) well and you know he mentioned he felt supported by the receivers despite all the uh, uh, alleged noise out there between receiver and quarterback, right? They come back to the huddle, you know, we'll get him next time whenever he misses a throw like that. And yeah. 20 for 29, here we are, you know? A uh, couple things that we want to let. Uh, Drew is not here to discuss the aesthetics of the space game, uh, but we did get the uniform reveal yesterday. Uh, I'm interested to know what you got. Well, actually, I'm more interested to know what Kyle thinks because I know what Eric thinks. Eric thinks that the space game is a gimmick. It is a gimmick. There's nothing wrong with gimmicks if they put butts in seats. We've had this convo, Eric. I get you. But listen, <laughs> as gimmicks go, this beats the heck out of whatever they're the trying to do. the best gimmick in America in I mean, football. you know, hashtag yeah. space two. Uh-oh, now we triggered some people. Anyways. Let's move forward here. Yeah, right. No, but. Uh, oh, really? You got a different one? Yes, there's like a thousand way better gimmicks. But there's no, Kyle. no, there is Kyle. Go ahead, Name Kyle. One. Go put, ahead, put the Kyle. Papers down, gentlemen. I'll get this in and you can do this. Oh, in second two. But. Um, how dare you? <laughs> what you prefer pillows anyways? No, um, the, with all this in mind, um, I liked it way better than what they were trying to do with that space shuttle gimmick. Like, can somebody tell me if they're going to have a special edition, like why it's white, why does a boring color generally speaking? Okay. So let's, let's shy away from that. Okay. I, I think they, I think they kind of, Pulled it a little bit more back to basics this year with the theme being, you know, kind of deep space. Yes. Um, with the telescope and all that, uh, the Spitzer Space Telescope, which I thought was really cool. Uh, I love the whole like transit thing in the numbers. Yeah. Um, I-, I said on Twitter that uh, if you're going to pick one of the seven that we've had so far, or one of the six that we've had so far as the definitive space game uniform, I think this would be it because it's not overly flashy, 
but it gets the point across. Um, Definitive, plus, thank God. Yeah, right. Definitive, not the best, uh, but certainly definable. And I will say this, those Canaveral blue numbers, thank you, because they're not just Canaveral blue, but reflective. You and your Which powder makes blue. My job powder. a lot easier on Thursday. Oh, that's Thank true. The jersey numbers that, that that is cleaner on that step. But that being said, if this team somehow <laughs> I always have a little bit of worry about like black on black numbers. I'm like, oh yeah, God. <laughs> but no, I, black on black numbers are dumb. That is fair. Well, they're they're also illegal, but yeah. uh you know, I I, I just I, I love it. I can't wait for Just it. Just win the game. Who cares what they wear? Here's the deal. If they lose, we do. Struggle, if they lose or struggle to Temple, you know what you could do with those space jerseys? Burn them. Burn them to the ground. Listen, Eric, do you do understand that this take is so bad? You found something. I with, want my teams to win. I don't care what they look like. You found something that Jeff actually agree, agrees with some of the trolls with. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not going to mention a particular trolling question, but Jeff knows. All right, I'm no, going. that's fine. It's yeah, moving, my, on. moving I, on. I don't know what you're talking about. I, I, I think uh, I think the situation is uh, to use an incorrect analogy. Mute. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, before we let Kyle go uh, here, uh, as we move on, again, game time. Uh, game time for UCF and Temple is set for what is it, Eric? Seven, seven o'clock. Uh, you better know you're going to be there. You better know it's seven o'clock Eastern ESPN with uh, Matt Barry, Lewis Riddick. Uh, on the hey, I, listen, I can't wait to meet Lewis Riddick. Yeah, former Sacramento Surge safety, you know, NFL exec, GM. NFL exec and GM, but Sacramento Surge, wow. you know, of the WLAF. The scourge of one Scott Mitchell of the Orlando Thunder. If you're an Orlando Thunder fan, who throwing you, it back? You you, there you you go. You probably don't like Lewis Riddick for what he did in World Bowl too, but <laughs> World Bowl. I digress. Um, good crew, good crew for this game. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, in, in off we go for this space game. Now let's switch gears here before we get let Kyle go because he's got important stuff to take care of. You do. That's true. Yeah, he's trying out his powder blue j- suits for Thursday. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. I uh, Listen, you guys are going to love my wardrobe on, on oh, Thursday. I'm God. telling you that. Um, the uh, basketball polls, uh, conference polls are out, and we have a couple of things to talk about with that. And Kyle being our basketball guru now, and I think we can say that <laughs> in uh, in all seriousness. Wow. Um, I want to start with the uh, women's side because we knew that this was the place where there was going to be the most attrition. Uh, And we were right. Um, The uh, UCF women's team picked eighth out of 11. uh, No first place votes in the women's basketball preseason coaches poll. South Florida is picked number one with nine first place votes. Houston with two. Remember, the coaches can't vote for themselves. Right. So, but that makes... Uh, South Florida, not unanimous by one vote. Um, we'll just quickly, we'll, we'll just do this r- real quick here. Fair, not fair. What do you think? Completely fair. Uh, I mean, listen, even some of the office staff left for Georgia, for goodness sake. I'm still in heartbreak overall. But listen, I no, I, I think that's completely fair. Um, not, And this isn't a knock on Satya, Satya Messer by any stretch of the imagination who you and I had an awesome conversation with you much back, uh, Jeff. I'm, I'm really curious to see what she does with the product. But 
the product in question is undergoing not just a change in players, not just a change in coach and all that, but I think we're fairly certain that, to use Eric's word, the gimmick of UCF women's basketball on the floor is going to be a thing of the past. There's not going to be that physical domination, that intimidation factor uh, of when the ladies come in here. And, and that is going to be just a completely different thing to adjust to no matter if you're a fan watching the game a player in the program um you know for those that do remain or or even you know somebody trying to analyze it um or coach against it or anything well i you know we don't know the product that we're going to get correct but so you know to say that the intimidation factor is not there I don't think that's entirely fair. I think the more it's a step back and that's, I'm not going to stop of that. It, it, it may, it may not be. If it is, if it is still there, it will be a pleasant surprise. I think is what you're really saying. I will lose my mind on this podcast. If that's the case, if we're in, if, if and I wouldn't rule it out, if there's any product that's out there that I feel confident will live, will leave Gino Oriama in tears after a game. Like we saw at the UCAA <laughs> tournament hashtag. I said it then I will be more than happy to retract any question I ever put on Ms. Messner. Just say. Hey, all I know is bulletin board material. Diamond battles ain't walking through that door is what Kyle's saying. Uh, hey. Here's or the good buckets. Or... But here's what I will say. Here's what I will say. I don't think there's a huge gap between, say, second or third place and eighth place. So it's not like, at least this year, in the American – and I, you know, and I, I will probably mm-hmm. say the same for the men. So that's the one thing I will say. This is not like, oh, you're a distant eight. I don't, there's not a big difference. South Florida is the clear favorite. They yeah. should walk, honestly, they should walk over with this league. Agreed. But you know, you could surprise some people. And I think to me, from women's basketball standpoint, you're playing with house money. There's no expectations. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're building for the future. No, seriously. And I do think it, we'll get into this more. Obviously, you and I are covering media days as we speak because you know it's a great idea to run media days during football uh, week. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> Um, I do think the, the, the thing of the unknown teams, is, you know, we'll see what we see on the court and they could, there no yeah. expectations means they could play with house money freely and surprise some people, which I think the thing Same is with like, the men. Same with the men. there's no tape on this team. Well, right. And as we talk about the men real quick, uh, they're picked sixth yeah. Houston's picked first unanimous Yeah, Memphis got, well, it looks like Kelvin Sampson voted Memphis number one. It's true. Uh, you know, uh, C- Cincinnati third, Tulane fourth, Temple fifth, UCF sixth, SMU seventh, Wichita eighth, South Florida ninth. Uh, I'll pose the same question fair or not? I'm not going to say the house money thing the same extent, Elo, because you and I both know that Johnny Dawkins is, is, has been facing the hot seat, at least according to the fans. I think, fiscally <laughs> speaking, he's not going anywhere. Obviously, no. we don't need to hash that right now. Um, but um, that's the only way I would disagree with the house money thing. Obviously, we're expecting uh, Darius Johnson to do his thing. Um, you know, uh, Jeff's very favorite, C.J. Walker, with good mm-hmm. reason. I mean, the two of them are the start to a, a a nucleus. At least you have somebody in either level of the court, right. back and front court, to start with. Which I say at least compared to the women's program. Again, even the office staff. Okay. So yeah, I, I, I think sixth is fair. Um, this is a tough basketball conference. It may not be the big 12, Eric settled down, but it's still a strong conference and, and the UCF. No, it is. It is. And and we're going to get into this more when we do an in-depth basketball preview show down the road here in a few weeks, uh, fans need to be realistic. 
about Correct. expectations with basketball because I actually like the fact that the expectations are down this year because I think it's more realistic. I think one of the things that hurt last year's team, that the expectations were too high. So Agreed. what if you look at the body of work last year, it wasn't a bad season, but because we had these unreal in my opinion unrealistic expectations because unfortunate injuries and timing too injuries didn't help but as we'll get into more when we get into basketball and we address the basketball programs they they are up against a lot of challenges that fans do not understand and even some media don't understand Mm -hmm. uh and they're going to learn that real quick especially when we get to the big 12 but even in the american there are challenges there i like the young group that's what this is about let's see what they can build and grow and develop a team here uh, i think for both sides i think is what i would say all right well we'll, as eric's uh alluded to we'll have our basketball preview shows coming up in the next uh couple weeks as we start uh preparing for the 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 winter equinox (laughs) the fall equinox right eric absolutely and no orlando media person will be more in demand or needed or pressure than Kyle Nash, who will <laughs> tell us about the basketball teams and who's on this team. Who are, who are the media relations people? Kyle, everybody's going to be asking Kyle, Kyle, who's this person? Who do I talk to? Kyle's going to be the most important person in the arena this season in UCF basketball. <laughs> Is, can my head still fit in the camera here, Jeff? Like he's, he's building me up pretty big here. Like, oh boy. Ooh, and all this. Guy, you guys need to tone it back. I'm just a student of the game. <laughs> Uh, the SOTG on Twitter uh, for the student of the game, Kyle Nash. Kyle, thanks for joining us once again. Uh, I will see you Thursday night. Um, yes, and I will do my best not to revolt your Carnival Blue board <laughs> Um, And listen, I'm looking forward to that bow tie. Uh, anyways, no, honor, joy, and privilege, guys. Don't I don't like- wear bow ties. I don't know who. I don't know what you're talking about. That's the joke. Um, <laughs> until <laughs> next time, Jen's classes. All right, Eric and I will be back uh, in a little bit, but first. When we return, Tyler Paul joins us uh, to talk about uh, his experience at UCF and also his uh, outstanding charity work with Ritz Bunch. You do not want to miss this. Uh, Tyler Paul coming up next here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We are back after this. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret podcast joining us now our guest on this uh on the special occasion is a guy who knows a thing or two about special occasions too because uh he is first of all a special teamer being a long snapper for uh ucf in his redshirt junior year and he's also working with one of our favorite charities brits bunch and he is putting together through the help of gofundme and also big man big heart another nonprofit organization uh, they're putting together uh, a bigger day for Brits Bunch, and here to tell us all about it, UCF long snapper number ninety-five in your in your roster, number one in your hearts, Tyler Paul, joining us here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. What's up, Tyler? How's it going, Jeff? Thank you so much for having me on here. No problem. Thanks for thanks for first of all, you reached out to us because you were like, hey, I wanted to you know tell everybody about what's going on. I want you to tell us first of all about what is Brits Bunch. How did you become involved with it? Give us the whole the whole background behind it. All right. So Brits Bunch started last year. It's kind of it's always been like a dream since I met Jan and Britt. But last year was our first official year having this project. And last year I was able to bring eight young adults with special needs to their first ever UCF football game and raised forget how much money it was able to do it they got 
front row seats, took him to Burger U before the game. They tailgated and they got a swag bag from Barnes and Noble that had hoodies, shirts, a, um, a football for all the players to sign. And then after the game, they were able to stand outside the locker room. I kind of got him in that little caged off area. Mm-hmm. And the players came out one by one, signed the balls, all that. So it was a really neat thing, really cool to watch it unfold. But doing it again this year and hopefully making it a little bit bigger, hence the uh, bigger day for Brit's Bunch. Right. I, but, think, uh, I think you said it was, what, seven, seven or eight last year. Now you're looking to do this for more people. And is there a game in particular that you have your sights set on? The uh, Navy game, I believe, okay. November 19th. I believe. Gotcha. All right. Last, last home game. I, I get the feeling this is something that was pretty close. You tell me about the first time you met Britt Garcia and her mom, Jan, who, who I know as well. How did they inspire you to, to do this as, uh, as more than just a service project, right? Yeah, well, I'll say first off, both my parents and my high school really molded me into all this volunteering and just kind of being out there for the community and not really looking at myself, just being out there for others. My high school, every year they would do a trip. We'd have like a four day weekend and we do a trip to give kids the world here in Orlando. I volunteered, I think my freshman year was the first time I went and fell in love with the place. It's a very, very humbling trip you go there and I think I was just a bus boy the first year I went so I worked in the cafeteria where all the families went and uh, for those of you who don't know um, Give Kids World is a place for those who have make-a-wish say to go to Disney or anything SeaWorld it's an all week long paid for trip they stay at this village and they take them to all the parks in Orlando and just kind of get their mind off of the hospital bills, anything, you know, just kind of a time to relax and be there with their family. And I worked as a bus boy and kind of got to talk to a lot of the families. And it makes you really look back at your life and think like, I'm very blessed just to be able to get out of bed on my own, to shower on my own, to be able to walk any of that. And throughout the years, did it the rest of my time in high school. And so kind of grew a soft spot for special needs. And then just any, anyone with illnesses where they're dependent on someone. And so I believe it was my freshman year at UCF. I got, I don't know who set it up. It might've, might've been Jan reaching out to one of the older players at the time. And they were doing a Christmas event at our church with a uh, special needs group signed up went to it and that was the first time I actually met Jane and Britt face to face besides Twitter of course because they're they're huge on Twitter (laughs) and from that night it was just Britt and I were best friends like it's like we knew each other our whole lives and it became after every game I would see her now and she'd stand out and get that hug that I always talk about and just throughout the years, the bond grew really strong and it turned out to be not just at football games. It'd be, okay, we're going to get dinner together, go get lunch together. Hey, we're at Burger U, can you swing by? And it was just like, it was just a friendship I didn't know I needed in a sense. And I'm very glad that I got it. That's awesome. It's so cool to see. Also, this is something that you probably couldn't have done, I think, probably prior to the NIL rule changes, I think, quite the same way. Can you talk about 
how that sort of helped pull this all together? Yeah, uh, it would have been extremely difficult before with trying to find loopholes of what I could and couldn't do. Mm. But um, yeah, so NIL started and I'm a backup long staff. I don't know what I was going to do to try to make money. Cause you see when that law passes, everyone's making shirts, anything like hitting up companies to pose for stuff. And it's like, okay, cool. Like I'm just gonna, <laughs> I'm just gonna sit here and just keep doing what I've been doing. But um, one of my high school teammates, Dylan Gibbons, he was an offensive lineman at Notre Dame for four years, I believe. And then grad transferred down to, um, Florida State and at his time at Notre Dame he kind of had a same situation he met a young boy there and they became really good friends um his name's Timothy and he's lived his whole life in a wheelchair and just been very dependent on others his family just always getting the help that he needs and once Dylan got to FSU they saw the first game was against Notre Dame at in Tallahassee so I believe it was like a few days after July 1st when NIL passed, like, or got passed, he started to go fund me and it was bring Timothy to tally mm-hmm. and just kind of see him like, just to get whatever to help out. It blew up. He had over $55,000 within three days to get this kid to the game. Wow. GoFundMe saw it, reached out to him and was like, this is amazing. We'd like you to be like a sponsored athlete. For us and then that sparked the creation of big man big heart and dylan's goal is to make it a nationwide um, nonprofit with all the colleges if you can we have ucf usf uf duke and vandy um this is fantastic and you know for all the crap for you know, lack of a better term that we hear about NIL and, you know, how it's changed you know, the, the relationship between student athletes and their schools with regard to college football. This is such a good thing. And we've seen, you know, already s- several instances of that. And we're so glad that you've been able to do this for UCF and for Brits Bunch. And I want to ask you also, um, where do you, what's the goal? Like, where do you see this going in the future because you're you're a, you're a senior by year mm-hmm. um you have i think one more year of eligibility left um but this is something that has wheels so to speak so mm-hmm. where do you see it going from here i hopefully see it just being an annual thing uh, just every year pick a game the same thing and kind of be like my legacy at ucf in a sense you know like may not have played but I was known for my work out like off the field and just kind of leaving that and kind of just always having an opportunity for others to, to experience what we experience on a weekly basis in the season. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, we got a couple of websites that I wanted to throw out before we move on to some other things I wanted to ask you about big man, big heart. You can find that at big man, big Uh, and you can also find, uh, Brits, bunch at britsbunch.org b-r-i-t-t-s bunch.org i'll make sure that i put the links in the show notes for everybody to see this as well as obvious obviously the link to the gofundme that you've been putting together for the navy game on the 19th now is there 
a deadline that fans need to be aware of? I know that you're right now at the moment that we're recording this, you're twenty five hundred dollars raised of the three thousand dollar goal. Um, what's the deadline? What do people need to know as they hear about this and if and when they want to donate? Um, I would say about the week before the game, week before okay. the Navy game, just to keep it a comfortable space. And so right now it says the goal is 3000, mm. but really it's every time I hit that goal, they up it another thousand. So last night when it oh, launched, wow. the goal was 2000. I met that instantly. So bumped it at 3000, I think. Make sure you check it out. College charity challenge for big man, big heart search for Tyler Paul on GoFundMe or click the link in the show notes for the description on this. And we'll make sure that you send it. All right. I got it. While you're here, I got to ask you some football questions because I'd be stupid if I didn't. Um, (laughs) Well, first about you, you know, now you're, you're modest about your role as a long snapper. You know, you're right now you're behind Alex Ward on the depth shot, but Alex isn't going to be there forever. You got a year of eligibility remaining. You going to come back next year? Haven't fully decided yet. I'm in kind of a crossroads between that, but still, still deciding. Yeah, because you because you're gonna be going into your master's degree, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. I would have to have to go to master's. Gotcha. Um, I and and several of our staff members, in particular, Andrew Glukov, have a special place in our heart for specialists. Andrew was a long snapper himself, in addition to oh, being yeah. a center. I have a special connection to the kicking game myself. I, I think a lot of fans have a misconception that your job is like basically you have one job. Right now, is that necessarily the case, or what are some of the things that people don't know about being a long snapper that are your responsibilities? That are some of the little things that help UCF win on a weekly basis. If you break it down, yes, we just have one job. But what people don't realize, like you watch offensive linemen do their blocks, all that. it's a very physical, physical game. For us, it's very mental. So it's a complete opposite side of that. So like for a snapper, you know, we have to go through our routine, make sure our hands are set perfectly, like all that. And if you walk up to that ball and just think to yourself for a split second, wow, I hope this isn't a bad snap. You lost that rep and you're already screwed over. And the Mm -hmm. same with kicking, you know, if you're not out there confident, you're not going to have a good day. And if you do have a bad ball, you have to be able to just shake it off and go to the next one because if not that will eat you up the rest of your time you have to be a a master of compartmentalization i guess is what exactly yeah that's what we call it in the specs room Mm -hmm. alex ward has kind of been the i guess you could call it the leader of your unit or one of the leaders of your unit this year he's been here for a very long time there's really hilarious video of him as a true freshman jumping around the sidelines after Mm -hmm. mike hughes returned the famous kickoff against south florida he is still here what does he mean to you guys as a unit and you individually as a fellow long snapper? For me personally, I met Ward my senior year of high school. I did a camp at IMG and for Coles, who they do, kickers, punters, and snappers, all that. Yep. And his father was actually there with his sister for a soccer camp at the same time. And his dad was walking by, just kind of check out the camp and I think my dad like talked to him and he was like, Oh, my son's a long snapper at UCF. And they got to talk it. And my sister went to UCF at the time. So of course they were all going back and forth, talking about the nights, all that. Then eventually I met Ward at the specialist camp at UCF. 
I think that was the first time I met him face to face and trained a couple times throughout my senior year and kind of became like really close and was fighting, fighting to get my chance at UCF. Cause at the end of the day, this is my dream school where I wanted to go. And he's just always kind of been like a big, big brother to me, someone who's a phenomenal role model to look after both on the field, off the field. His work ethic is insane and just a great leader. And he, now that he's really the oldest in the room, he, he keeps us in line for sure. And just kind of lets us have fun when we can, but when it's time to work, he, he snaps on us. No pun intended. <laughs> yeah. Especially specialists kind of have a, a rep of kind of being like there, you guys are the secret wild childs, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> You mentioned the importance of, you know, what you guys do and in the kicking game. Um, there's been a lot of changeover in UCF's kicking game this year. Um, you know, we've we've seen switches at both kicker and punter. Um, how have you guys all handled that as a unit? Because it's, you know, it can be, it obviously it's competitive, right? But, you know, it, you're also, not only are you competing against one another, but for the overall objective of who does the best for the team, on Saturdays or Thursdays or whatever day we're playing this year, it seems like, but um, yeah, so, so how have you guys handled that, uh, you know, that turnover as a unit, as guys have, have taken on different roles? I would say extremely well, there hasn't been any tension because at the end of the day, like, like you said, it's the best for the team and whoever's up at any position, it's, you're going to help them be the best they can for game day. Because once we start, fighting with each other then that whole room it's just not good for us so but yeah we've had really good spirits i'd say and it's just making sure we're there for each other who's the funniest guy in the unit if you ask the group they'd probably say me but <laughs> um, who do you think is the funniest guy in yeah <laughs> it's usually Osteen and i we we feed off of each other and we kind of we kind of break the smiles in the room let me let me go through. Uh, give me one word to describe each guy on this unit, because like, again, you I I nerd out about special teams. You guys have played such an important role on the team, and yet I feel like not enough people, you know, know really know you guys. So you already mm -hmm. talked about Alex Ward. We we can skip him. Um, uh, and, you mentioned Andrew Osteen. What, give me a a way to describe. Uh, give me one term to describe Andrew I would just say he's goofy it's usually me who does this but I get him to just hysterically laugh and it will go on for like five minutes and we call it an Osteen episode because he just will not stop laughing we should have like a tv show or something just to catch what we do but get a podcast yeah we <laughs> definitely need it or an episode of Netflix one or the other like yeah oh gosh <laughs> Aiden Fedigan, who is also a long snapper. He's he's quiet right now. He's quiet. Still just kind of figuring out everything. First year, just kind of making sure he's on top of everything. I'd say quiet. Okay. He's still a very nice kid and great, great long snapper. He's he's a freshman. He's just trying to fit in. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. Um, Chris Bauerfine, who was listed as a linebacker, <laughs> but now he's listed as a long snapper. How did he sneak on? He just saw the running back room and I forget if his brother was a long snapper in high school and he was like dude just just switch over 
and he's done it and he's a workhorse he will snap every second of every practice and he's come an extremely long way it's it's insane to like to watch his progress of where he started to where he is now works hard yes. at it yeah yes Mitch McCarthy, the six foot five inch Australian <laughs> punter. Is how old is first of all, how old is Mitch McCarthy? Um let's see, yesterday was his birthday. I want to say he turned 25. 24, 25. 25-year-old Australian guy freshman. running around with is a freshman in college freshman. running around with you guys. That must be one heck of a dynamic. Yeah, he's definitely having a lot of fun. He's mentioned it before because he played Australian football. Mm-hmm. And on his team there, he was the captain. He was a leader. And he said it was a weird transition to come over here because I don't want to say he knows nothing about football, but he knows very little compared to us. Yeah. So he's like, it's completely weird to be in a captain to now having to sit back and learn everything, watch everything. And, but he's a very genuine guy, very nice, and just always kind of, Picking up everyone's spirits, no matter what. Uh, Garen Boniel, who is the son of an NFL kicker. Mm-hmm. He's, he's another guy who works extremely hard. He's out there. He's usually catching Chris Bauer fine snaps with him and punting. He's a, he's a combo guy. He does both kicking and punting, and he's constantly working at it to get better. He's, he's also kind of quiet very very nice kid kind of a new guy right like do you feel like like the new guys are kind of it's like yeah they're kind of feeling around like you know it's first year jitters kind of thing yeah uh well this is the second that's right season. Yeah. yeah last year he was yeah a little more quiet this year he's really opened us to opened up to us and we've seen his like personality at all and we're all at the end of the day we're all the same person and we we mix well Riker casey <laughs> Riker's a funny guy. He's another kid that I we feed off of each other. We have we have a class together right now, and it's very hard to focus sometimes when both of us are, are sitting there. But <laughs> oh god, which class? Data analysis and criminal justice. Oh, you know something? I kind of don't blame you guys in that case because that sounds really boring. Oh yeah, we just sit in a computer <laughs> lab, and there was one class I would just looked up all like old photos of everyone in the specs room. And I found a, a funny picture of him, and I put it up on the computer. He looks over, and he was biting something his tongue from, not to laugh out loud. Something from App State, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh, Colton Boomer. He's a nerd, <laughs> but he's <laughs> gosh. If you he cannot he, outlive he, that yearbook quote. Oh no, it's <laughs> it's his life motto now, I guess. But um, he is such a Star Wars geek. It is insane, and Legos, all that. It is oh, so fantastic. funny. Every day he's got like a new Star Wars shirt on. He just he loves it. <laughs> Gosh, no wonder no wonder he stayed here in Orlando, right? By Disney with all the, yeah. Yeah. Uh Daniel Obarski. Daniel, he's such a great guy. Such a great guy. I've known him since I got here. He's one of the first guys that reached out to me once we all committed and like we were heading over here. And he's now my roommate here. And absolutely love the kid to death. He's He's another just very genuine guy, just very, very sweet kid. So now yeah. you know the entire UCF specialists unit. And that means I can ask you now um, about the game coming up this week against Temple Thursday night, the space game, the single space most look, single most look forward to event of the college <laughs> football calendar, if you ask me. 
Uh, the uniforms just dropped about mm-hmm. an hour and a half before we recorded this interview. Let me ask you about the space game as a player, because, you know, w- w- when the ball goes in the air, you know, you don't see any of that, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's like you have tunnel vision. But in the lead up to it, you know, do, do you guys look forward to the space game as players in the same way that the fans do? Or is it kind of like, yeah, you know, it's kind of cool, but we got a game to play. We definitely look forward to it. But yeah, it's nothing like, oh my gosh, I can't wait for the space game. Because like you said, we still have a game. We got to treat it like any other game. But yeah, it's just something, something to have fun with. You know, it's different. Instead of just wearing our black and white, we'll throw that blue in, whatever. and Or that moon helmet. That was, that was a good one. Yeah, that was a good. Is good is that helmet. the part you guys look forward to the most? Is the uniforms? Personally, I I could care less. I'm gonna put whatever they give me on. So, <laughs> but some kids, yeah, they'll probably. Man, we're wearing white again. It's. Uh... I, <laughs> oh, I always get my next question is gonna be, but I guess I know what your answer is gonna be. Is what do you what do you think of the uniforms this year? I like them a lot. They're very very sleek. And I was talking with Brad, the equipment guy, mm-hmm. and this is a while back or beginning of the season. And we were just talking about the jerseys and all that. And if you remember the old jerseys on the collars and the cuffs, it was all like a different color. If it was like the anthracite, side, it'd be like a black cuff and like gold numbers or whatever, whatever the pattern was. Right. <clears throat> and he said in the meeting, it was like, we're going to the Big 12. We're the only school with black and gold colors. Make them stand out. Make it just be very professional, very sleek. And I think they've done that. Kind of focused on what we have and not add add anything extra. You're talking Um, about Brad Anderson, who's the director mm -hmm. of equipment operations for UCF football. Yeah. What a job that he and his staff do, by the way, too. Oh, yes. Love those guys to death. Those are some characters, too. That equipment room. (laughs) So let me ask you about the team right now. Um, you guys are four and one. The biggest part of the season, I think, is still coming up. Obviously, you guys want to take care of Temple. Those 85 guys are on scholarship, too. And then after that, like the real meat of the conference schedule starts hitting, right? Mm -hmm. ECU, Tulane, Cincinnati, Memphis. So where are you guys right now? How do you feel about where the team is as you prepare for that? that grind that's coming up in the American. I would say SMU was a huge confidence booster because that was a that was a game we've been looking forward to since last year after we went over to them and played. And after the performance we pulled off last week and really saw what we're capable of, it's okay, we we need to be doing this every week. And it's just a matter of walking in with the right attitude, making sure we're doing everything right and as long as we keep that up, I mean, we should we should finish this conference really strong. It does feel like things in that SMU game clicked in a way mm-hmm. that they hadn't quite before. It's like we saw bits of it in against FAU at times, but like that second half against SMU was you guys were pumping like Eating, a machine on yeah. all cylinders. Yeah. But what does it feel like as a even though you're a specialist, you know, you're not on offense, you're not on defense, but you guys understand like the, the, the concept of, you know, the energy of a team, the chemistry. And when, 
And when the snowball starts rolling downhill like that, what is it? What does it feel like on the sidelines? I mean, for us, the specialists, besides like going out there, snapping, kicking, and punting, our biggest job is keeping that energy up on the sideline. We'll go pick someone else up, either congratulate them on a good play, anything, and just keeping that positive energy going on the sideline. Yes, the fans are yelling, screaming, and cheering, and all that, but you're not dialed in on that. If I go up to Devod and just kind of go up in his ear and just say, like, all right, good job, like, whatever, like, keep it up. You know, he hears it, and he's actually might mean something a little bit more to him. And just keeping that that positive energy on the sideline to go out there, next play, next drive, whatever, and just keep the train going. Describe for us the, the difference between Coach Heupel and Coach Malzahn and how Coach Malzahn has come in and, and embraced the culture within UCF and enhanced it to some degree. I would say Malzahn just brought us closer together because it felt like with the old staff, it was we had offense and defense. Now it's we have a team. Uh, Malzahn's first few months here, he was mainly focused on learning about us and making sure that we're together first. And then we'll focus on, all right, what's our game plan for this upcoming season, all that. And it was a lot of just bonding stuff. And even in fall camp this past season, we do bonding groups with the coaches. Every week we would split up and get a new coach, a new group, and just kind of tell our, our backstory, where we come from, why we play football, all that. And it's the little things like that that you don't realize that can make a difference in the long run because it's you know the person next to you and you can count on them. And it's just just those little things that help out. And he really, really focused on that. A big difference in that aspect, I'd say. It's it's a big it's it's big on team chemistry, right? I, mm-hmm. I think like that's like so underrated. And it's one thing to have team chemistry like in basketball where there's like 12 guys. Yeah. But when you have a hundred dudes and all the support staff and everything. It's, it's, it's a challenge, isn't it? Yeah, because look at the O-line. The center has a bad snap that can mess up the quarterback. That can mess up the handoffs to the running back. That can mess up his process to throw it down the field. It's a whole chain reaction. So everyone's got to be on the same page working together. Because there's 11 guys out there that got to pull off the same thing. Well, we're looking forward to you guys pulling that together and putting it on full display on national TV Thursday night for the space game against Temple. I'm looking forward to it. I know the fans are looking forward to it. And also, just a reminder as well, take a look in the show notes for the link to Tyler's GoFundMe uh, for uh, a bigger day for Brit's Bunch, uh, which will be, again, at the Navy game. November 19th is the goal. So you know, make sure that you hop on there. Whatever you can contribute, please do, because this is a great – this is a, an amazing cause in Tyler – Thank you so much for everything that that you've been doing for this cause. And I hope that it continues. First of all, I hope this year is a tremendous success. We're going to do everything we can to help ensure it from our part. And also, I hope that it continues like you were saying, because it's awesome. Thank you for all you do, man. It is awesome. Keep it up. Thank you. Tyler Paul. Oh, by the way, can't let you go without uh, your social media and any other relevant places where people can find you. My Instagram is underscore Tyler Paul underscore. And I'm looking at my Twitter right now. I got it here. It's okay. It's Tyler Paul, but the E in Tyler is a number three and the A in Paul is a number four. Four. Yeah. 
make it a little bit difficult on the people but <laughs> I, yeah if well it would have been cool if you could wear 34 yeah that's what yeah. i'm saying but you know hey, <laughs> you know we can't we can't all be we can't all be garen boniel i guess he wears 34. <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> Tyler Paul, UCF long snapper. Tyler, thank you so much for uh, for joining us today, talking about the stuff that you've been doing. And uh, hey, best of luck Thursday night. Stay healthy, and we'll see you on uh, Thursday night for the space game. Let's go get a dub, man. Thank you so much. Thanks again to Tyler. Uh, once again, we have the information in the show notes uh, that you can for, for your donations and your support of Brits Bunch and help Tyler out with his uh, fundraiser for Big Man, Big Heart on GoFundMe. Stick around. When we get back, Elo and I will talk about uh, volleyball, soccer, everything else that's going on around the world of UCF sports, uh, and uh, give you some details on what's coming up in the next week. Stick around. We'll be right back. We are back. Eric Lopez and yours truly, Jeff Sharon, joining you here on the Black and Gold Banner Podcast on the Space Game Week, and we get to talk about some of the bigger stories around the world of UCF sports. And Eric, I want to start with UCF volleyball because they suffered their first defeat of the year at Houston 3-1 uh, on last Friday in uh, a match that kind of, if you we were going to see it, if, if it was going to come apart, it came apart in exactly the way we thought it would. Uh, and yet they came back right after that and swept Tulane in New Orleans. They're back home this Friday against Temple and Sunday against ECU. But let's go back to this uh, to this Houston match, Eric, because we both watched this one. Um, I think that, that what Houston was able to do was their front line dominated um, this match. And McKenna Melville, um, you know, a- as amazing as she is, night in and night out, boy, they really put the clamps on her. Uh, she hit only 0.45 for the match, uh, 17 kills, 14 errors. Now, from your perspective, was that what Houston was doing, or did she just have an off night, or was it a combination of the two? Probably a combination of the two. Uh, you know, Houston's big at the you mentioned at yeah. the net, uh, and they made some adjustments this season. For example, the you know they're really the best player on the court that in that match was Isabel Tuit who was yeah. a middle blocker last year. They've moved her to the outside, which makes him even wider, big um, deal. And, you know, they focused on McKenna. They're like, we're going to put size on her. We're going to, you know, make it difficult on her and make others beat them. But here's Rachel the- Tullis had five blocks in Tullis that match. Was a she block. was they great. Were- she was. I thought she was the MVP of the match, to be honest She was with tremendous. You. She was tremendous. And then Abby Jackson had a nice match, too. So, I mean, the interesting stat, I'll give you this. UCF, for the match, hit 102. That's the worst they have hit in a match since November of 2017 in the NIVC match at Georgia, when they wow. the lowest, where they hit under 100. This is the worst in the McKenna Melville era. They have never hit this low. I think the lowest prior to this was like one last year against UCLA, 114. UCF going into that match was hitting 326 in the as a team, which is the was number one in the country. So that's a that's a huge significant difference. I think back to that first set. If you remember, Amber Olsen was serving. UCF was up 10-5. They got off to a good start. Olsen had a great serve, but Houston got a great dig out of it, got a point. They went on a run, ended up winning a tight first set. I thought that changed the complexion of the match. Uh, I thought UCF really struggled to get anybody else going offensively, but credit Houston. They're a good team. Uh, They, you know, 
this is going to be a two-bid league. Could be three if SMU has something to say here down the stretch. And uh, But, look, give credit to Houston. I thought they, they're a really good team. They played well, and they had a great crowd support, too. They had a record crowd. I think they had over, like, yeah. 1,100, I want to say, for the match. So, um, you know, it's kind of their up. Kind of their Super Bowl a little bit, no? Well, look, this is a rivalry now. We've discussed a lot. One of the themes this year in UCF athletics is who's going to be the rivals for UCF in these respective sports. I think we can safe to say now, Jeff, that Houston UCF is a rival. Uh, this is now what the uh, three match, the last three matches previous to this. Last year they played two five set matches. Houston won at UCF, but going in it's like, okay, you beat them once, but can you really challenge them to this level? Can you push UCF? And the answer is yes, they did that. So to me, this is a rivalry. You've talked to the players; they bring up Houston as a rival. Uh, and it could set up an incredible scene. Black Friday, these two teams will play again at the venue. Could be for the American Conference Championship. Could be a top 25 matchup if both of these teams take care of business down the road, which, surprisingly to some, UCF's never been involved in a top 25 matchup at home. You're right, right. They've never, it's never been a matchup of two top 25 right. teams. Out. That's yeah. right. Uh, RPI, Eric, UCF drops to 11. Houston is at 14. Yeah. Uh, UCF also dropped only one spot in the coaches' poll, but it's the coaches' poll. No, you know. Hey, twenty fourth. Better to be ranked than not. Houston right. is on the outside looking in at twenty six. If Houston were to now, Houston's got a tricky match at SMU. It would not surprise me if SMU upset them, which would be huge for the league and SMU. So, so is this is this a hashtag quality loss? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Welcome to that world, folks. You got respect because it's like you know doesn't matter. Didn't hurt them resume wise. It, it was more of a lost opportunity. Because UCF is looking for top 25 RPI wins. Houston would have been that. That hurts them from a hosting standpoint. But as far as the overall long big picture this year, it does not hurt them that much because they still play Houston later this year. And if they win out, they can uh, certainly win the league. But, uh, you know, they bounce back, as you mentioned, against Tulane, one in three sets on the road. And finally, this weekend, they will be home for the first time in a, over a month. Yeah, it's been wow. That, 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 so that will also play a factor. They're going to play Temple and East Carolina, and they're going to have a lot of home matches on the back end of this schedule. So that's the good news, I think, from a UCF standpoint. Uh, Temple, by the way, RPI 205, ECU RPI 192. So even if UCF destroys them in both matches, it's still going to hurt that RPI somewhat. But, yeah. um, but at the same time, get to lick your wounds a little bit figure some new things out for the remainder of the season and then get ready to take care of business for this upcoming uh, schedule. So they have actually their next three matches at home because next Wednesday, October 19th, three matches coming Florida. up here in the stretch here. Yeah. South two. Florida at home yeah. too on the 19th. So By the way, and then yeah, yeah, yeah. three straight on the road. So right. McKenna Melville, 11 digs away from 1500 in her career. We've talked so much about her kills and her offense but as you know, you've talked to McKenna. We've had McKenna on the show. She yeah. loves defense side of the ball. Well, she was a, she was a she was a libero in high school. Correct. And she so, was originally recruited as that, and then she grew like four or five inches in her senior year. She would be the fourth UCF player ever to get over fifteen hundred digs in a career. And by the way, not a defense. She's Correct. not a defensive specialist, nor is she a libero. Right. So that, you know, and, and the other three people in front of her are all that, you know, they're yeah. all, they're all the barrels, Jordan Pingle, Meredith Murphy. Um, yeah. So, and by the way, Mac watch, uh, where do we have her at? 272 kills 
on the season for her career. She's at 2,262. Is that right, Eric? Yeah. yeah so yeah. she's the all-time 238 away from. This is her first home match that she broke the record, which was like, I feel like ages ago. I know. Kansas. It's I know. We've played more. At, you said this yourself. We played more matches in Kansas than in Orlando. It's bizarre. <laughs> so, uh, women's soccer. We talked about how they were kind of treading water with four draws on the season. Well, they've won their last two games at Temple, two to nothing, and then home for SMU, one to nothing. That was a big win on Sunday over SMU because. It got them to four, two, and four. And that one goal, Eric, Kristen Scott, who seems to be finally easing her way back in. This is just a different team with her out there. Uh, and as we uh, and and this is this is what they needed as they head down the stretch now. With uh, you know, well, let me see if I can pull it up. Yeah, here we go. So we're all of a sudden, Eric, five matches to go, five games to go in the season. They play Thursday against uh, Cincinnati this this coming Thursday at home. And then Sunday, they're at Tulsa. So this is their chance to sort of claw back up the standings again, right? Yes, uh, the 2-0-1 in the league, 44 RPI. You look at those five matches, four of them are going to be in the state of Florida. They only have one flight left in the regular season. That's at Tulsa this weekend. But you're right, they've got Cincinnati Thursday, which is a rescheduling. Remember, they were supposed to play uh, about a week and a half ago, and then someone named yeah, Ian decided to uh, yeah, change the hurricane, those plans. Right. Uh, so they got Cincinnati Thursday. Cincinnati, remember, was the team that knocked off UCF in the last regular season match last year in Cincinnati. And I would argue derailed their NCAA tournament chances because it dropped UCF in the seeds in the American. It forced them to go to Memphis. Just cost them, an, uh, in my opinion, an at-large bid. So right. big match against Cincinnati. Then you go to Tulsa. You go East Carolina, Houston, then the big one at South Florida at the end. But you're right, Kristen Scott being back healthy. Her minutes are going up. She played over 40 minutes on Sunday, got the goal. She's a difference maker. You and Bryson have been really kind of uh, documenting that. They're a different team with her. You know what you're going to get with Delio at goal. And I think the back line with the defense is maybe the deepest they've ever had with players like Matilda Cack, George uh, Collins, who was the American Conference Defensive Player uh, uh, of the Week, Kelis Barton. They didn't allow SMU an official shot on Sunday. So if you got Christian Scott back, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> with a good defense, this team—if they can make a run, they can get win it. They can have a shot. Didn't allow a shot officially. A shot on goal. Now soccer is weird because it, oh, a shot they, on goal. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, you you can shoot, but if it's not near the goal, it's not doesn't count as a shot. It, it's all complicated soccer stuff. But look, it's a good win. SMU is a talented team. They were an NCAA tournament team last year. It was a second round team. It's a big win. Tim Sahadak filling in for Coach Tiff, who was with the U.S. national team as the assistant playing the friendlies up in Europe this week. She'll be back for the Cincinnati match, uh, but it's a big win. They're starting to get healthier and deep. Chance for them to make a run here and try to, you know, uh, win a conference title and host the, the the tournament, hopefully if you win the regular season title. But yeah. it starts with Cincinnati uh, this week, and then they go to Tulsa for their final flight of the regular season. Since he's one zero and two on the season, uh, the the Tulsa game is big. They're they're two one and two, yep. seven four and three overall. Um, and it, but if you're able to get through that to home ECU, uh, who is right behind them in the stands, they've been the home, surprise of the league. Yeah, yeah they've, they've been, been a surprise. Home for Houston, who struggled one two and two, and yeah. then that sets up South Florida in Tampa, last game of the year. South Florida right now leading the conference at three and one, six and six overall. They do not have a draw. 
Um, yeah, like this is this is going to come down to the wire again in this league. In a, in a year where the league's a little down metrics wise, RPI wise, they're down. They're about eighth rated conference. Most got, experts, everyone kind of struggling in the non conference, I think. Yeah, and so. As a result, this might be a one or two bid league only, which adds urgency and pressure to every match to get results because the margin for error for UCF is not very big as far as an at-large. I'm going to write about this next week for all the UCF Olympic teams next week. I'm going to kind of project where they are as far as the postseason. But it's a one to two bid league right now, it looks like, for the league. So UCF can't have slip-ups because – there's no guarantee you're going to get in as an at-large. The easy, I mean, the best way to do it is just win the automatic bid, and you start by winning the regular yeah. season title and take it one match at a time. So, uh, balance league. So every match is big, and with remember no overtime. So you got to get it done in 90 minutes. Otherwise, you know, you get a draw. It's going to be more than <laughs> likely. Which you know. yeah, got to got to put three points on the board. Got to yeah. put three points on yep. the board every yep. time, especially. Uh, yeah. So uh, that takes us over to the men's side. They are five and four right now. And uh, got a win at FIU. That was a huge win for them because they had lost three in a row at Memphis, home FAU, home number 23 SMU. They were really struggling at that point. But they get the win at FIU. And after that string of three straight one-goal losses, to throw three on FIU in Miami was really big. And and you were telling us about the uh, RPI update, Eric. What's the situation right now with UCF? Because again, this is the newfangled American, right? You have SMU at the top at four and one, Memphis right behind them at three, one and one, FIU at three and two. Then it goes South Florida, FAU, Tulsa, UCF at two and three. Um, but as I'm looking at the full standings here, uh, you know, it, it's remember it goes by points. UCF is still six points back of first, but two points back of fourth. Yeah. I think is what is what the real is what the real rub is here. So. You know, we're kind of in a little bit of uncharted waters here. So so give us a lay of the land right now. Well, the FIU win was a monster win, maybe a turning point in the season, maybe a saver of a savior of the season, because they were in the hundreds RPI ways going into that match. By winning at FIU was a top twenty-five RPI team on the road, UCF skyrocketed up to fifty-seven with the win. That's how big that match was. Is that now is that the official RPI? Yeah, officially now they're fifty-seven. So uh, and I, I believe the American has six teams in the top 57, I think, or top 60 overall in the RPI. It's a strong three. It's the third strongest league in men's soccer yeah. right now behind well, the ACC, S- SMU the right now. Yeah, right now, SMU six, Tulsa's 15. I'm just going yeah. down the line here. FIU 24. So that's why UCF bumped up. Memphis is at 33. Dang, this league's good. Charlotte's 49, yeah. uh, UCF at 57. So there you go. So that's why the good news is you've got a lot of quality matches left. The bad news is you got a lot of quality matches left because this is <laughs> a strong league and it's going to be hard to make. You make the point. You got to make the top six first to get to the conference tournament and then hope there. But the, that was a huge win for them. Hopefully a turning point after a crushing loss at home to SMU where you really controlled that match. Mm-hmm. And then SMU does what SMU does in men's soccer. They find a way, score two goals within three minutes. Uh, in the 75 past the 75 minute mark and really a heartbreaking loss for UCF. So, but the win against FIU really saves them from that standpoint. If they can make a run and usually historically coach Calabrese teams get better in the second half of conference play. Yeah. So that if they can do that, they can play themselves in not only or maybe a conference championship race, but also at large there. Cause this league will provide you quality matches and Luca Dorado, 
has been a machine. Uh, she's he's right up there right now in goal scoring in the nation, and I think he scored now what seven straight matches. He's up uh, the, seven the seven in a row. He is uh, he had a, he had two goals for the third time this season. He's now got ten goals on the year. Uh, LIU's Emil Yaxalainen, uh has the longest active streak for eight, but uh, you know right now Luca at ten. I'm trying to pull it up on the uh, NCAA stats here, but uh, he's uh, he's up there again uh, with the uh, near the nation's leaders. Yeah, he's one goal back of of uh, Yak uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Emil Yaskalainen of Long Island uh, for the national lead. Yaskalainen has eleven. Luke is one of six guys tied with 10, including Canute Islander of uh, SMU, by the way. Wow. So that gives you an idea right now of where, they're, uh, of where they are. Now, let's spin this ahead to what they have coming up, because you got UAB uh, in Birmingham on Friday. That'll be on ESPN+. Plus. Then you come home the following Friday. That Charlotte game is getting bigger and bigger by the Charlotte's minute, and here's why. Charlotte's been having why. a great year. They're having a great, yeah, they're having a fantastic year. They're seven, they're seven, one, and two. I think they've been the surprise of the American, although they're one, one, and two in the conference. They are the nation's leaders in scoring offense at 3.4 goals per game. <laughs> that is nearly half a goal higher than the team in second, which is Akron. Wow. 2.9. So that shows you what Charlotte's been doing this year. Uh, but you don't want to get too far ahead of yourself because you still got UAB. Uh, they're struggling right now at 2-7 and 2 3 and 2 but you got to take care of business there because that's a road game. If oh, you, yeah. And, and, yeah. And we've seen it in soccer, man. Like, what, you give up one goal and the whole thing can go off the rails. Well, you can't afford bad losses. I mean, you, you could argue that home loss at FAU right now is kind of haunting UCF a little bit from a resume standpoint and the conference race. You don't want to, you can't have another one like that. So Although their take... RPI is not bad right now at FAU, but I think the, part of that is probably because of UCF. Because of the UCF way. Yeah, we yeah. helped them in that. Um, so it's a strong league. Look, this is a strong league. Every, every night it's difficult. Like, it's funny. We're about a month and a half away, believe it or not, from the Men's World Cup taking place in Qatar. And there's always the cliche, there's always that group that they call the, quote, group of death, which is basically referred to, it's the strongest group in the World Cup draw. Four, usually it's four strong teams. I would argue that the American Conference is the group of death for a conferences in men's soccer right now because there's no easy matches at the all. NCAA's group of Virgin. death. Yeah, there you go. And, man, you got me excited about that Charlotte match because UCF's still up there in goal scored themselves. We could have a shootout. I mean, that could be a high score, one of the highest scoring matches potentially on paper. That's Charlie. next Friday. Next Ooh. Friday at home, the twenty first. Yo, I mean that's gonna be big. But sign me up, man. That's that game. But to is your point, be... gotta take care of UAB. Gotta take care of UAB, and uh, let's see how yep. far Luca Dorado can take this going. He's three goals away from a milestone thirty career goals. Kristen Scott's two go- uh, goals away on the women's side from thirty goals in her career. The last time UCF had uh, two players on campus. Score 30 career goals playing at the same time. You got to go back to the late 90s when that happened. So that's yeah. uh, that tells you how it, that's a rare feat that we're watching. Plus, you mentioned Dorado, second in the nation in goal scored. McKenna Melville, second in kills. So we could have at the uh, the lead, the nation's leader in kills and in goal scored in men's soccer and volleyball this year. Not bad. By the way, some of the games that uh, we talked about, Charlotte. Yeah. Uh, the, some of their goal totals this year. Three at UConn, four against Gardner Webb, 
five at Georgia Southern, five at Detroit Mercy, five versus Winthrop, three against UAB. They went a they went a five match stretch. I got it. I got it. Is this even right? 15, 19, 20. They went a five match stretch where they outscored their opponents 22 to nothing. Wow. And then, and then, the, and then the sixth match against Coastal Carolina, they dropped six on them. So 28 to one over a six match stretch. And then after they dropped six goals on Coastal Carolina, they played three straight games and they've gone two nothing loss at Tulsa, one one tie at Memphis, two two tie at FAU. And they have number 14 SMU this Saturday. Wow. So that gives you an idea of what Charlotte's doing right now. Yeah, that'll be a big one. Home match in Mm. a couple weeks. Yep. Yep. A couple weeks. First of all, take care of UAB because we've got, they got to, they got to knock that game. They got to take care of business in, in Birmingham right now. UAB is struggling two, seven and two. They haven't won a game in conference. They're pretty desperate right now. I, I, you always laugh at me about this, but I, I, I get nervous about the desperate teams. Well, in soccer, especially where the margin for error is not big. That's, yeah. I mean, to your point, like they, they lost the SMU in Dallas one to nothing. Their right. Last exactly. Time. No, no, no. I don't disagree with you on the men's soccer side. You could outplay a team and lose and get a bad result. Yeah. I mean, it's not and, crazy. Yeah. And, and I think, I think looking back at them right now, like they, this is what UAB has done. They lost to FAU and Boca one to nothing. They played Tulsa to a scoreless draw. They drew South Florida 2-2. And they lost to SMU 1-0. And when did they score that goal? Uh, 46th minute. And it was Allender who scored the goal on a penalty kick. So that shows you how close they have been. But that's the nature of this league this year, man. Like you said... El Grupo del Muerto. There you go. Let's go to oh. the There you go. Yeah. All right. Uh, I think that's pretty much it, right? We cover right. everything? A uh, sh- oh, shout out to Jada Cody, UCF softball star player, who has announced she will be part of the U.S. national team in November for the Pan American Championship roster. They'll be playing in the championships in Guatemala in November. Uh, so Jada Cody continues to make some history there. First UCF softball player to be competing in international championships, trying to win gold and or part of the U.S. national team. So congrats to her. How, how big is that for, you know, we talked about like the, you know, the program in general, but like to have a player on the U.S. senior national team, like that's, that's serious business. Big time. It's a huge step. It's a credit to her. She started in January trying out for the team. She makes the, the alternate roster. She gets to play with the U.S.-Japan series a couple a month ago or two months ago. Did very well. And now she's part of this roster, 15-person roster, a player uh, up in for Guatemala. What an experience, too, as a student athlete. Think yeah. About that. She's gotten to go to Japan and now Guatemala. I mean, she not only is it amazing from an – from a her standpoint, from a playing standpoint, but just from an ex, a life experience. I mean, that's that's you know. I mean, I know this sounds very corny in a little bit, but isn't this what the whole purpose of student athletes' experience in college is to experience things like this? And she's earned yeah, that. That's awesome. So congrats. And to it Jada. puts UCF Fantastic. softball on the map. It puts them on the map across the board, uh, which I'm sure Coach Ball Malone appreciates from a recruiting standpoint, and you know, et cetera. Because now, if you're recruiting, you could say, hey, you come to UCF, you can be a part of the U.S. national team and contribute internationally and do what you want to do. Yeah, guys, fantastic. Um, yeah, congrats to Jada. Hopefully she's the first of many. 
to do that yeah. at UCF, like you were saying, because that's that's good. When, when you think of like those those touchstone programs in college softball, I think this is true in other sports too. We talked about volleyball, right? The national team is the thing. And when you have a great player on that national team, that's a real tick off your resume as a program. I think that you're right. That does put UCF on the map with, you know, Arizona, Texas, et cetera, USC, UCLA, so on and so forth. So I think that's, it's, it's so important. We saw that also with the volleyball team, even though, you know, McKenna Melville and Anne-Marie Watson weren't on the senior national team. I mean, they may have an opportunity to do that. I think, I think certainly McKenna was Jordan Thompson is Cincinnati. Oh, I think what she's done for that program. Right. They won the gold medal in the Olympics because of Jordan Thompson. And how big is that for Cincinnati? Well, think about when we talk about the history of UCF volleyball, when we talk about the greatest players ever, the name that one of the names that comes up is Tyra Harper, who was on the U S Olympic team indoor and outdoor. And think about how she's, that still makes an impact today. When Michelle Akers, Michelle Akers, women's soccer. I mean, it's uh, it's the who's who. Sean Johnson, men's soccer, what he's doing in the MLS. I know he's been trying. He might be on the World Cup roster for the U.S. national team. He's been vying for that, among other players. So He should start for Team USA. I I agree, but I don't think the U.S. men's soccer team is very bright. So it probably won't. Well, we'll find out exactly how bright they are. So we hope you have a bright space game week UCF against Temple on Thursday night. We will be covering that from all angles. Uh, Eric, you're going to have a night shift after the game, I presume. That's correct. Me and Bryson will be on. Kyle will join us and uh, we'll talk. We'll recap the Temple game and uh, hopefully any special uh, guests possibly. We'll see. Uh, we'll, we'll see, see what we come up with. Never, you never know on, on night shift. You Somebody never know who makes video in. bombs. Yeah, man. We've yeah. had some guests there. Uh, we've got uh, also, uh, again, enjoy it. It's going to be a fun uh, space game as well. Make sure you follow us. Uh, first of all, if you don't subscribe to our podcast, you should. Uh, we are on at Android and Apple devices. Just go to wherever you find your podcasts of choice. Uh, and also, you can follow us on social media. Check out our YouTube channel, which is where we're going to put um night shift as well black and gold banneret on youtube uh make sure you follow us all on twitter ucf banneret underscore sbn is our team handle you can follow me at jeff underscore sharon you can follow eric at eric lopez elo thanks again to kyle nash the sotg make sure you also follow bryson turner it's bryson turner and stat boy drew uh on twitter that is andrew glukov as well uh don't forget to also follow underscore ds warden and the Noah Goldberg for the best photos from UCF events. We will have plenty of photos from the space game as well. Facebook.com slash black and gold banner is where you can find us on Facebook. And our Instagram, black and gold banner, where all those photos and a lot of post-game reaction also goes after us. If you like Instagram, you can follow us there as well. Thank you so much to Tyler Paul. Make sure you check out BritsBunch.org as well as uh, as well as BigManBigHeart.com. Uh, as uh, for the fundraising for Brits Bunch, which is a fantastic cause. And thanks again to Tyler for um, taking the time out of his busy schedule to talk to us about uh, about that and the goings on for UCF football as the Knights take on the Temple House, 7 o'clock on Thursday night. For all of us here at Black and Gold Banneret, for Eric Lopez, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thank you so much for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Go Knights, charge on. We will see you Thursday night.